What's good, y'all? My name is Dylan Green, and this is Real Notes, a space dedicated to blurring the cultural and artistic lines between rap and film. I'm here to chop it up with everyone from rappers and producers to journalists and video directors about their relationship to movies and how, if at all, film inspires their craft. My guest this week is Brooklyn rapper, label head, and ghostwriter Sky Zoo. We spoke about House Party, his fascination with John Singleton and Spike Lee, his time as a rap consultant on the 2014 film Patty Cakes, concept albums, his recent vocal cord surgery, cultural appropriation, the state of modern rap media, and the creative process behind his latest album, All the Brilliant Things, out now via Mellow Music Group. Come fuck with us. What's crackhead, everybody? Uh, welcome back to Real Notes. I think this is number 14. Yeah, no, no, no. This is definitely number 14. I always get the numbers fucked up. Uh, my name is Dylan Green, Cinema Sci, Got Names. Those are two of them. Um, every guest on this show is incredibly special, but we have a really fucking awesome, amazing guest on today. This guy is, uh, he's, He's 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 been through it all, man. He's a rapper. He's label head with first generation rich. He's a producer. He's a ghostwriter. Native son of Brooklyn. Fan of Penny One Air Maxes and chicken wings with extra duck sauce. You got you got Sky Zoo in this place yeah. to be. <laughs> what, what what a setup, man! What a setup! Absolutely, man. I've been rocking Penny Ones and eating chicken wings with extra duck sauce since I was a little kid, and I still rock Penny Ones and eat wings with extra duck sauce only must change you know what i mean see that's the beautiful thing about growing up because you know the more things change the more they stay the same more they stay the same yep <laughs> absolutely yo sky bro thank you so much for coming on man on my shit i really mm-hmm. appreciate it thank you for having me thank you for having me man and taking the time i appreciate it all no oh, of course yeah and you know like and you're like we're, we're gonna we're gonna touch on a lot of things here particularly all the brilliant things which will be out by the time uh this episode gets released um, it's not out right now, but I've heard it. It's dope. It's fire. So, um, yeah, of course. Thank you for the music. So, uh, so yeah. So, um, when I do this podcast, I usually, the first question I usually ask everybody is what their first movie experience is they can remember. But I know that you've talked about, I know you've talked a lot about, um, seeing boys in the hood with your father for the first time as a kid in the theater. So unless you can think of anything earlier than that, um, if you wouldn't mind walking us through what that experience like was like for you. Yeah, I mean, kid stuff, like, you know, I, I think, I mean, my parents take me to see Ninja Turtles like eight times, you know what I mean, as a kid. So, you know, the, the first Ninja Turtle movie, which was bananas, it was great. Um, yeah. That and, you know, um, going to see Malcolm X in the theaters, but that was after Boys in the Hood. Um, I remember wanting to see House Party. I think when House Party came out, I was like seven or eight, and I remember wanting oh, to wow. see House Party and my parents being like, nah, you know what I mean? And me being like, yo, come on, I want to see it. Because I was a kid and play fan. I'm a little guy, a little kid and all that. Right. And um, I, my parents being like, nah. And I remember they, the, everybody was talking about going. You know, everybody that was in their mid to late 20s, like my parents was, was talking about house party. And I remember just hearing all that and that energy and wanting to go. And I'm being like, no way. Like, this movie's going to be raw. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> I know the movie by heart. You know what I mean? I was like right. seven years old at the time. That's so crazy. Because the first time I saw it... um. I saw it on a school field trip. I forget where we were going, but they just like threw it on the bus. That's while we crazy. Were, like, <laughs> it was, we, we must've been in like eight, it was like seventh or eighth grade. And we just like, they just threw that on. That's and we crazy. All just That's a pretty raw movie. <laughs> that movie's <laughs> like, wild, bro. Yeah, there's a, a lot of language in that movie. <laughs> yeah, but nah, like our, 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 te- our teachers trusted us and they were just like, nah, let's just show them this kid and play movie with Robin Harris and just, 
they 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 got it it's yeah. cool Absolutely. <laughs> right, that, was, that was that was it but yeah um but yeah like so as so you know like of course like as most of us are we're like growing up watching things and just kind of like taking in all this all this culture that like of course you were immersed in growing up in brooklyn but um talk to me talk to me about seeing uh boys in the hood with your father for the first time and what and how that experience kind of shaped you yeah it was dope because obviously it's an amazing movie classic you know i hate the term hood movies when we say yo that's a hood movie or the hood movie so it's like a sub genre i hate the hood movie tag but if you're gonna tag something that it is the the king of the hood movies it is the best right. one it is the most artistic, the most cinematic. It's the one that if these other folks, you know, for lack of a better term, was going to let one slip in, it's that one. You know, that's the one that got a, a nominee, you know, Oscar nominee and all that. Like, it's that one, you know, and it deserves every accolade it's ever gotten. You know, John Singleton was an utter genius with that. Rest in peace to him. And um, yeah, when I saw that movie, yeah, when I saw that movie, man, I was nine, 10 years old. I, think I was 10, something like that. And uh, I remember going with my pops and we left the theater and, you know, he had told me, you know, he wanted me to write a report about it. But before he even said that part, I remember when we walked out and he asked me, he was like, so what did you get from the movie? Like, what, what was your, what was your favorite part of the movie? Or, you know, what do you remember the most? And I was 10 years old. So I was like the scene when they was in the classroom and Trey was whipping son out. You know what I mean? Like that was my favorite part of the movie because I was 10. You know what I mean? So and I remember my pops being mad at me and I'm, I'm a little kid, you know what I'm saying? But I remember him being mad like that's all you got from that movie. That's what you got from that movie. And I was like, yeah, like, cause that was the part I was a kid. So seeing a 10 year old in the classroom, whip a kid out, I felt like I was in that class with them, you know? So, um, but, but at the same time, the movie was my life because I would go to my pop's house on the weekends. That was my life. And then right after that, it, it switched where I would be at my pop's house and go to my mother's house on the weekend, which if you know, the record milestones i did a song on there called turning 10 which i yep. used that whole analogy and that that stuff really happened in my life so seeing the movie i was going through the same thing you know i, I was literally going through the first 15 20 minutes of that movie was my real life at that time you know That's and wild. i was the same age as him so it hit crazy but at the same time i was a kid so the part that stood out to me was when trey was whipping son out in the class you know with, with, with the teacher's <laughs> that was the part for me that was great you know what i mean the rest of it it was over my head as a little kid. And I was like, okay, but right. that was my part. And my pops was mad. He was like, that's what you got from that movie? That's all you got from that? All right, when we go home, I want you to write a report about the movie, you know? So, but it was yeah. worth it, man. I, I cherish those moments. Yeah, I get that. Cause like, cause like that, cause like that opening scene is really just, it's really something. Cause, cause like you're talking about the scene where they're arguing and then one of them calls the other, uh, I'm an African, African booty, booty scratcher, scratcher, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then they get at it and one of them's got the rat tail on the back yeah, of their yeah, head. Yeah. 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 So like, it's, it's like, cause like whenever I think about boys in the hood, it's like that scene, it's the swap meet with um um where ice cube pulls out the gun when the, um, um, yeah, when the other bros come through. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah, and just like, cause like I rewatched it. Um, I rewatched it with my girlfriend. Must have been like, f maybe like somewhere between like three and six months ago. That's a huge range, but that's all I can remember. Like, and right, just right. like taking all of that in, just like Singleton was so amazing at ringing. He just like got everyday life. Like, forget hood life. Like, he just got right how people right. worked. You know, and yeah. like you like like you know people like yeah. that's in every one of his movies. A hundred percent. He's the West Coast Spike Lee, straight up and down. He's the West Coast Spike Lee. And I think he aspired to that. You know, he was younger than Spike. He grew up a Spike fan. I think he aspired for that. And he got it. He was the West Coast Spike Lee, without a doubt. 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, like, especially as he went on, you know, like a poetic justice and just, just like, I, I, I could, yeah. yeah, I could sit here and list names. I'm not even going to do that. He, he just, he right. just really, he really had it like that. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, just a really, really, really beautiful movie. Um, I was, um, um, I just talked to somebody else, uh, pretty recently on this podcast, actually kind of comparing that to, uh, um, uh, why am I forgetting menace to society Mm -hmm. because they, because like they kind of came out around the same time and like at this point in my life, having seen both and really like kind of taking them in, I, um, the, like the opening scene I always come back to is O-Dog in the fucking bodega. Like it's like, there's just something so like. Boys in the Hood is a movie that's very like it's super stark and very just like matter of fact. But I think like Menace to Society is just even more it's just even more intense and kind of like bleak, honestly, like they're both pretty bleak. But there's just something so like you mentioned the word raw earlier, like to me, like Menace to Society is like that's like raw, raw. Yeah, Menace is way (laughs) wilder than Boys in the Hood. You know, I remember and and Boys in the Hood is wild, you know, uh, yeah no punches on it like he, he he let it roll you know what i mean he, he he let it roll and um but i remember when menace came out which was like two years later the tagline for menace was this is the streets this is what's real and even as a little kid i felt like that was a little jab at boys in the hood because boys in the hood was it was raw and it was la but you know you heard even uh when easy e came out at the time it was like yo that's an after school special you know, mm. because it was about black fatherhood and a good kid caught up in the hood and all that type of stuff. So people from the hood had never seen that type of movie. If there was a movie reflecting what was going on in the hood, it just showed the hood. It didn't show a black father saying, I want my son out of this. It didn't show all those different sides and those elements. And a kid getting in the car to go get revenge for his, his best friend getting killed and then getting out the car and being like, yo, let me out. I'm not built for this. Like, those types of movies that represented these neighborhoods didn't show that at the time. They just showed getting to it. Like any other movie, he would have gotten in the car and they would have got to it. Trey would have gotten in the car, he would have stayed and they would have let it off and he would have been there when all that work happened. But Singleton had it and, you know, it was based on Singleton's real life and he was Trey. So, um, you know, he got out the car, you know, and that's what made people be like, oh, that's after school special as great and historic as it was. And obviously that's bullshit to call the after school special. But at the time, people were so ignorant to it and didn't really get it. Menace came back and their rebuttal was, nah, we giving it to you raw. This is what would happen in the hood. This is what would happen in the street. This is the way it really, really goes down. There is no happy ending. There is no whatever, whatever. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so that that was kind of the the back and forth with it. But they're both classics. I know Menace to Society by heart. I literally know every word of that movie by heart. <laughs> I know Boys in the Hood by heart. You know, like sometimes when I speak, I use movie references and I'll just say something from a movie mid conversation. Yeah. People will be like, what? And then they'll get in and be like, yo, <laughs> shut up, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like that, that's, that's how I talk sometimes, you know, and those are two movies that I pull a lot of dialogue from just being silly. You know, like I know both of those movies by heart. They're both classics. Boys in the hood obviously has the deeper meaning, but you know, menace hit home runs all through it. Right. Yeah. And it's really interesting that you bring all that up because I know um, I was reading some article fairly recently about, um, when Singleton and Paramount were marketing the movie, like they cut a trailer and they cut only the parts that showed like the shooting and the wild shit. And Singleton and the producers had to be like, this is not what this movie's about. Like y'all are selling the wrong movie. And they were like, well, we want to make it more appealing. And they were like, nah, like this is not the movie. Like like they kind of wanted it to be like a rebuttal 
to all of that, or, or, or if not a rebuttal, like a commentary, or at least like some sort of thoughtful critique on it. Right. So I know, I know they really didn't appreciate the Paramount executives being like, yeah, it's just like, just that, you know? So Did, did they, did they get their way? Or uh, did Paramount I, win? I think Paramount won. Ultimately, I'm trying to remember what the trailer looked like. And I mean, that was 30 something years ago since I've watched the trailer. I watched right. the actual movie all the time. But seeing the trailer was a very long time ago. So I don't remember how raw the trailer was or not. Now I'm curious when we get off, I'm probably going to watch the trailer. Yeah, I'm going to look for it, too, because I because because I haven't seen it since I read the piece. But like, yeah, like because they because they marketed it and then it came of out course. and people and people saw it. And of course, like the assumption that a lot of a lot of people had was that, um, was that they were going to like it was kind of like we do the right thing people thought there were going to be riots in the streets right. over the movie and right. obviously there or, or like there might have been but it wasn't like it, right. it, it, wasn't it, it like didn't that. yeah yeah exactly mm-hmm. um so you know like you kind of have so like so like boys in the hood in particular is a very important movie not just to like the culture at large but to you specifically as both a man and a rapper mm-hmm. so like um, would it be fair to say that that's the movie that made you fall in love with movies or did you have another specific moment that kind of did that? Um, I don't know. It's a good question. Maybe, maybe that. I mean, everything before that, I was really young. You know, I like that movie came out. I was like nine. That was 91. 91, I was nine. You know what I mean? So, you know, anything before that was Ninja Turtles and, you know, uh, was the Lion King out? No, Lion King wasn't out. Just all that type of stuff, though. You know what I mean? Just being a kid, you know, um, do the, I always love do the right thing, but again, I caught that later in life. You know, I was maybe eight when that came out, seven or eight. You know, so that that doesn't count. And that's my my favorite movies of all time are Do the Right Thing, Goodfellas, and More Better Blues. Like it's a three way tie. Those are my favorite movies ever. Movies where no matter when they come on TV randomly, no matter what you're in the middle of, you could just sit there and watch them. Yep. No matter how many times they could do a marathon of like every day on VH1, we're gonna show Goodfellas or we're gonna show More Better Blues once a day. I'll watch it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, though, that's how it's your favorite. Like, so those three are my favorite movies of all time. Do the Right Thing, Mo' Better Blues, and Goodfellas. See, that's crazy because, like, I feel like Mo' Better Blues is appreciated, but people don't really talk about it the way that, like, like I don't want to call it underrated, but it's, right. like, it, like, it never comes up in top threes, you know? Like, it's it, right. it's, it's it's never at that level of, like, Do the Right Thing and Malcolm X. and he's uh, done so what, much stuff, you know what yeah. I mean? He's done so much groundbreaking <laughs> stuff, but not Mo' Better is, man, I, I absolutely love Mo' Better. That's that top three, top three favorite. And it's number one. It's not, like, one, two, three. Like, they're tied. You know what I mean? Right. Like my yeah, yeah, yeah. favorites. And that doesn't mean best. You know what I mean? Like Penny Hardaway is my favorite basketball player ever, but Michael Jordan's the greatest. You know what I mean? And right. I love Mike as well. So, you know, but those three are my favorites ever. You know, those three movies. I could watch all three of them any time of day, seven days a week. Not a problem. Won't get tired of it. Right. Yeah. Like that foundation is really important to have as like a consumer and yeah. just like, like as a person, because like these things, you know, like, like you were saying, a boys in the hood, like it's like reflective of your life and like this stuff mm-hmm. and, and, and like those three movies are all like they're all so personal, like all three, like, like even Goodfellas to an extent is like a fairly yeah. personal movie, you know? Yeah. Like, it, and, and, <laughs> I mean, obviously not for me because I can't relate to it on that level, you know, right. I'm, I'm not Italian and I didn't grow up in Bensonhurst and all that stuff. But it's such an amazingly well put together movie. And yeah. it, it's it's so entertaining and so real and raw and just the art of it 
the way it was written, the cinematics, the way it's shot, the fact that it's three hours but doesn't feel like it. It's a phenomenal mm-hmm. movie, man. Like Goodfellas, but everybody feels that way. Nobody doesn't like Goodfellas. Everybody's like, nah, Goodfellas is great. You know what I mean? You can yeah. take like, <laughs> projects who's never been around Italians and be like, nah, Goodfellas is it, bro. Like everybody loves Goodfellas. You know what I mean? Like Goodfellas is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, now that I think about it, I can. I, I don't think I've ever met anybody who doesn't like Goodfellas either. either. It's just, either. it's just, it's just one of those ones. Like, even, even if you're not a fan of Scorsese's other stuff, like, it's like for me, like Goodfellas, The Departed, and like, uh, maybe Taxi Driver. Like, those are three that everybody's like, okay, like, yeah. I'll give you those. Like, cool, yeah. those are good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so of course, you're also um, a pretty big Spike Lee fan. And of course, you made the song Spike Lee Was My Hero from yeah. uh, A Dream Deferred. So kind of like talk to me about your relationship with Spike's movies and kind of how they spoke to you growing up and as you got older. The thing about Spike stuff, which is, you know, one of the main reasons why I always looked at, you know, him as a hero, you know, and just being my favorite director ever and, and one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite representatives in black culture and, and you know, upholding something for black folk. He always put it all on the screen. What I loved about him, even as a kid, was every movie I saw my neighborhood. You know, I, I saw my neighborhood in every movie he did from Do the Right Thing to Mo Better, you know, being in Brooklyn to, you know, uh, obviously Crooklyn was like, I know the yeah, block yeah. they shot Crooklyn on, you know, it's a fish <laughs> spot around the corner that's still jumping. Like, I know the right neighborhood, you know what I mean? So, like, you know, um, uh, you know, I, every movie he put the neighborhood on, you know, he, he put Brooklyn on. And the same thing with Singleton. That's why I say he's the West Coast. Everything Singleton did was L.A. except for Four Brothers. That was Detroit. But everything right. else, if I remember, was L.A., you know. And, um, you know, with Spike, everything was Brooklyn and still is, you know, and I love that. And it's the way he represents us. And again, doesn't hold no punches. Like I said earlier, with Singleton holds no punches, goes for it, says what needs to be said, does what needs to be done. and really creates these moments even visually and artistically like obviously the dolly with with, with the the traveling dolly like where it rides with you and just, but he just yeah you know, he's just amazing he's just amazing you know what i mean like <laughs> he's he's it there's so much you can say it's hard to say it all like he, he really is that guy man he really 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 is that guy yeah nah definitely like there's like i won't lie there's a handful of his movies especially like around like the 2010s that i'm not a fan of that i just kind of didn't really hit for me mm-hmm. but like that's one one thing i've like i agree with you a thousand percent like one thing i always loved about spike is that like he has a very specific style and a specific voice and he like he puts it all out there like mm-hmm. i forget who said it but there's like someone i heard say that like he he makes movies like he's never going to be able to make another movie again. And he has to get that's every awesome. single idea on the screen. Like you look at something like bamboozled, yeah. like that's like a, he's like, he's like, damn, like movies are going to become illegal tomorrow. I got to get this movie done. Like yeah. he, 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 there's bamboozled just so much. So great. Bam, bamboozled is one that doesn't get talked about in his catalog. Even, mm-hmm. even with, with Mo Better. Like I think people talk about Mo Better more than bamboozled. Like bamboozled kind of gets forgotten about, but man, bamboozled is so strong. Man, like, it's so oh. strong, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he 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 got it. He's had it figured out for like forty years now. He know what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Like I had to take a break watching Bamboozled. Like the first time, I like mm-hmm. sp- I, I literally split it in half. I watched it with my sister, and she was like oh. only half paying attention at the time. Um, and they were just like, "You good?" Like they just saw me over there, just like sitting in the corner, like just like I was just drowsy, and they were like, "You good?" I was like, "Yeah, I just need to. I need to take a break for a second. Yeah, <laughs> like." Really. 
Yeah, it's 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 just so intense. But like, and it's interesting because you also mentioned like, of course, like like with Spike, there's the New York and Brooklyn connection. Um, even even when his movies don't take place in New York, like you could even look at something as recently as like the Five Bloods, which doesn't take right. place in the states. Period. Right, right. So like like there's just such a there's such a New York flair to everything he does, and like mm-hmm. and like the Five Bloods in particular was something like that was the first time in a long time that I had really been like, wow, like, mm-hmm. l- l- like it really reminded me of everything I loved about Spike when I first saw like yeah. do the right thing and jungle fever and bamboozled. Yeah. I was like, wow, this is Spike right here. Yeah. Like- <laughs> nah, he, he's, he got a style. I saw his own. He's inspired everyone, whether they realize it or not, whether they admit it or not, it's, it's, it's a real thing with him. Yeah. Nah, that's facts. And like, so um, talk talk to me about making Spike Lee was my hero and like getting him to be in the video and just like where the whole idea of the song came from, because that's yeah. a, like that concept is really tight. Yeah. When I heard the beat, uh, my man, tall black guy did the beat when I heard the, Shout beat, out the tall black guy. He's the best. Yeah, he's nuts, man. He, he's really, really talented. Um, when I heard the beat, it felt like superhero music. It felt like a theme song. So I didn't have an idea to make a song about Spike Lee or about my hero. It wasn't like that. I just heard the beat and da, 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 da. I was like, yo, this should feel like a superhero. Like it feels like flying in the sky with a cape on. Like it feels like theme music for a hero. And then I said, well, who's my superhero? And of course, you know, my pops, but I didn't want to make a record about my pops on that type of beat because that type of beat spoke a certain thing and that would have been a little weird just from an artistic standpoint it would have been a little weird talking about my dad on that type of beat you you're gonna make a record about your parents your dad your family you want something that has it's a little more like kind of on the emotional side and you know just a different way to do it you take a record like anything i did on milestones like those beats make sense for what i'm talking about so making a record about my pops on that beat wouldn't make any sense and i don't think people would have got the flair of superhero if I talked about my dad, it would have just been like, oh, he made a record about his dad. But superheroes are normally people who you can't see and touch and have relationships with and, and, and you know, have access to like that, you know. So people will get it if it's somebody of that ilk, not the guy who raised you and who you grew up with. So there's a lot of reasons why I said, well, who's my superhero outside of my pops or whatever? And I was like, Spike Lee right away. Spike Lee. And then I just in my head, I just went, Spike Lee was my hero. Spike Lee was my hero. And I was like, oh, man. And then the the was the using the word was and the science behind that was, you know, growing up through all these different things and in these different worlds and what was going on. How did I get through it? Well, here's a part of it. This man was my hero. And that's why this thing went the way it did. That's why I write the way I write. That's why. So because some, some people could be like, yo, why? Why do you say is Did something happen where he's not your hero no more? Like, mm-hmm. no, he absolutely is, is part of my hero, you know, section. But. I say was because I'm talking about, yo, this is how I grew up and what was happening. And this thing could have went bad if this guy wasn't my hero, but he was my hero. So that's why I grew up the way I did and why I write the way I write and create the way I create. So that was why that went that way. And I did the record and, um, you know, it was just the two verses and all that. I did the record and I was with Kwali. Kwali hit me and he was like, yo, I'm working on this joint. You know, I'm working on this project. You know, if you come to the lab, you know, do a verse. I was like, yeah, yeah, for sure. So he featured me on this project he was doing. I think it was a mixtape. And I go to the lab and um, do the joint. You know, he plays the beat. I, I write a verse on the spot, spit the verse, boom, everything's good. And afterwards, he was like, yo, you know, what, what you been up to? Like, what's going on? And I said, oh, I'm working on a new album, whatever, whatever. He was like, yo, you got some with you? Let me hear it. And I put the flash drive in and I played 
like two records or whatever. And by the third record, it was that one. And he was like, yo, I don't know if you wanted me on something, but if you do, let me get on this one. And I was like, yeah, hell yeah. Like, I, I didn't have any intentions of putting anyone on that record because who else would say Spike is their hero? Like, what other rappers, you know what I mean, would be like, yeah, Spike's my hero. Right. You know what I mean? So it didn't, I, in my mind, I wasn't going to ask nobody to get on the record because it wouldn't have really made sense, you know? So, but with Qua, it made sense. He went to, you know, Tech, which is across the street from Spike's office. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he right. went to, you know, Brooklyn Tech High School. And, you know, he grew up in that era. He's older than me. So he really was in the mix of it. If I was a little kid, seven, eight years old, when Do the Right Thing came out, he might have been 14, 15. So he really saw it and really understood it. You know what I mean? So, you know, it, it made a ton of sense. He's from Brooklyn. You know, he's his intelligence and where he's at and what he does. It made all kind of sense. And then he was like, yo, if you want me on something, I'm definitely down to get on this one. And I was like, done deal. And I left the record with him. And maybe a week later, he sent it back to me. And then we did the video. So what happened with that? We did the record. Album comes out. So, man, like two or three days after the album comes out, I get a tweet from Spike. And uh, it's just like, yo, loving this new Sky Zoo record. You know, honored to be your hero, brother. Something like that. Whatever, whatever. Wow. I'm paraphrasing. And I was like, yo, like I'm reading this thing. And I'm like, yo, this is crazy because I had never met Spike. I'm like, yo. Two minutes later, he tweets again, and he's quoting lyrics from the song. Jeez. So I'm like, oh, this is turning into something. Like, he's listening to it, and he's excited. So I'm like, yo, this is crazy. I write back. Yo, thank you so much, brother. Whatever, whatever. So a friend of mine, uh, my man Fuse Green, he does a lot of artwork uh, for Spike. A lot of the movie posters and logos and things like that. He's an amazing artist. And he is, like, one of Spike's in-house graphic art and designer dudes. Uh, so I knew that he worked with Spike, but I never tried to use that. I didn't say, yo, can you get this to Spike? Like, it wasn't that type of thing. But uh, once Spike hit me, I hit Fuse. Like, yo, look who just hit me, bro. I might need you to make that connection. He was like, yeah, yeah, for sure, man, whatever. So uh, he put me in touch with my man, Jason, who's been with Spike forever. Jason is like Spike's right-hand man. And he'd been with Spike for the longest. And uh, Jason's another Brooklyn guy, mega cool. That's, that's my bro. Um, I got with Jason. And then that was it. It just went from there. So the way Spike heard it, Spike's son was listening to the record. So I didn't know, you know, Jackson was a fan like that. So I'm, of course, I'm like, yo, that's amazing. And uh, he's listening to the record. And he goes in his father's room and goes, yo, dad, come here. I want you to hear something. And that was it. <laughs> Spike heard it and was like, yo, what's that? Like, you know, and, and, and that was the way it went down. Um, so then Jason spoke to Spike and then he was like, yeah, yeah, bring Scott to the office. You know, let's hook it up. And I went to the office and met him and all that. And then he was like, yo, so we shooting the video, right? And I was like, okay. Like, I wasn't even thinking about it. You know what I mean? I, I just was right. good with him, with him dapping me on it. Like, yo, it's fire. You know what I mean? I appreciate it. You know, but he was, he literally said, so we shooting the video, right? And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. We shooting the video. Yeah. Whatever you want to do, baby, let's do it. You know, so um, we put it together. And my man, Alex G, shout out to my man, Alex G, rest in peace. Another Jersey guy. Uh, he actually passed away a few years ago in a big Oakland fire that was all over the news and stuff. So uh, oh, it was man. a very, very close friend of mine. Yeah. And he did that video. He did a bunch of videos for me, but he did that video. Um, and man, it, it was it was a highlight. It's crazy. Like when he passed and the news was talking about the Oakland fire, because it was such a big deal. It was like nationwide story, like, you know, CNN and all that. And they were talking about him they were using the video and all the clips and they were talking about how he worked with Spike Lee and all that stuff. And oh, that was man. our video. So I love that. I was honored. I was like, man, the fact that I was able to help not knowing that was his hero too. You know what I mean? So the fact that I was able to connect those dots was amazing. So, you know, um, Alex and, and my man, Sil, 
uh, does a lot of work with Meek Mill and stuff now too, Philly guy. Um, Sill, they both was on the video and, and we knocked it out. We went up to Spike's office and knocked it out. And so it was ill because Spike was like giving them pointers on like, yo, let me see where you got it. Okay, pull the camera back right here. Okay, now zoom mm. in right here. So he kind he threw his hat in a little bit. So, you know, not co-directing it, but, you know, he, he was giving tips. Like, yo, I yeah, now bring it over this way. Like, and I know my man Alex, I know he was bugging. Like, yo, right. like, Spike working with my cat. Like, this is crazy. You know what I mean? So, um, so you know, we did that. And then we did the second half of the video uh, at this brownstone of a homie of his. And uh, and it's, I think it was in Sunset Park. And Quali came. You know, he came through and knocked it out and it was great. It's one of my favorite videos. And I remember when BET played it and they was like, man, that looks like a, a Jordan commercial. That could be a free Jordan <laughs> commercial it's laid out. You know what I mean? But we really knocked that video out the park, man. My man, Alex, that was all his vision of like setting up this kind of shrine, like this, this chair that was like a throne and then all the, the spike stuff around it, the pictures yeah. and memorabilia and the posters and me just sitting on his throne. And then I was dressed like Spike and all that. Like he really, right. that was all his vision. You know, it was great. Wow. And yeah, and you like to have it come full circle and have someone say that it looks like a Jordan commercial considering Spike's right. work on the Jordan commercial. You know, like it, it just yeah. all made sense, man. It's one of my favorite videos I've ever done. We knocked it out the park. He loved it. It was great. Yeah, man, it's 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 really a good time. Anyone who hasn't seen it, just go look it up. It's 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 a really nice it's a really nice tribute. I fuck with it a lot. And, um, you know, another thing, like another reason why it's always really cool to see your connection with Spike Lee is because, like I was saying about him kind of throwing it all out there. That's kind of how I feel about a lot of your albums. Like you kind of like, like you're an idea guy. Like you, like you have concepts, like you have like an overarching concept for a project and then just like stitch all these little individual thoughts together and kind of make it a whole mosaic, whether that's talking about yeah. something like music for my friends or um, even stuff like in celebration of us. And of course, all the brilliant things like Bingo. you, Got like y'all have that, y'all have that in common. And I've yeah. always appreciated that. So like, I guess I learned that from them. You know yeah. what I mean? Growing up, as a kid, I guess I learned that from them. But you nailed it. That's always the mo with my records. Never do I make an album where it's like, yo, let's just make some joints. Let's just make 12, 15 joints and put it on the record. Like, nah. Even if it's a collabo record, like you look at the Easy Truth with Apollo Brown, you look right. at Retropolitan with Pete Rock, you look at Live from the Tape Deck with Ilmon. It's all conceptual, you know. So there's gonna be moments that go here and here and here. There's all these branches off a tree, but they're all off one tree. It ain't a branch on this tree and a branch on the tree across the street. And they don't come from the same family. They gotta come from the same thing. So, you know, all that's on purpose. It's, it's definitely a, a point and a method to my madness. Right, totally. And before we move on to like more like early stuff with the music, I just wanted to say one thing about a song on the Easy Truth since you brought it up. Mm -hmm. um, the Stretch and Bob song is one of my favorite things you've ever done. Brilliant oh, idea. Like thank that was like, you. like I remember when I first heard it and I was like, why? Like it's one of those like, why hasn't someone done this before? Right, right, right. Type absolutely. ideas. Like yeah, I just had to say like that man. song is amazing, bro. Like thank you, thank you. Yeah, I, I had the idea to do that. You know, when I did it, we did the verse. Um, you know, we we did the recording or whatever, and then Apollo actually put all the interview stuff around it. Like he did that in post production. Uh, he had man. found a stretch in a stretch and Bob interview. They was interviewing Nas when, uh, when mm. it was coming out. So that interview was on YouTube and all that stuff. Yeah. So they was interviewing Nas and, you know, so he played it and I heard it and then I just was responding to the questions as if he was asking them to me. And then later on in post-production, he chopped it up and, and made it all work. And uh, yeah, I just had this idea to just do that. Like imagine if I was 
that age back in the early mid nineties. And I was on the stretch and Bob show, you know, right. everybody went up there and blacked out. So, okay, here's me blacking out on the stretch and Bob show. And it just made super duper sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that was like a claim to make too. Like, right. It was just, like, yo, I went up there, you know, it's kind of like with flex now or sway. Now it was mm-hmm. like, yo, some Bob and I went off for two, three minutes, you know, like that was the thing. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, like kind of, you know, like speaking, speaking of stretching Bob and like that period of time, like talk to me about like your early experience with music and like falling in love with rap as a young kid. Oh man. I um started rapping when I was nine. Uh, mm-hmm. I loved it before that, but you know, I was a little kid, so I wasn't thinking about becoming a rapper, but you know, you grow up in Brooklyn in the eighties and nineties, it's around you. Hip hop is around you everywhere. So I lived on the 18th floor in my mother's building, you know? So you look out the window and you see the guys with the Audis and the two door Jeeps and all that stuff, bumping hip hop, shooting dice, passing, you know, Heineken's around smoking and just, you know, cooling out and stuff that you hear me talk about in my music. You see the, the sales and all types of things going on for lack of a better term, but hip hop was the soundtrack around that blasting out of every speaker. Yeah. Then you had the stairwell, our door was right next to the staircase and in, in, in the projects. And you hear kids in the stairwell sitting in there with their little speaker, with their little boom box, you know, blasting hip hop. And I'm five, six years old and you smell the weed coming under the door and all that. Okay, cool. So you're surrounded by hip hop, you know, on TV raps and that. You're surrounded by all these things. And I had young parents. So my parents was bumping hip hop, you know? So I say all that to say the, the average listener right now might think, oh yeah, well, hip hop runs everything. This was a time when hip hop didn't run everything. The time where hip hop was still new and they said hip hop has 10 years and this may have been year 10, you know what I mean? Or year 11, you know, like this is when it was new. So, um, you know, it it was surrounding me and I remember I was nine years old, man, and video music box, Ralph McDaniels, video music box comes Mm. on and um, it it comes on and, and I'm watching it like we, me and my mother did every weekend. And then all I hear is, you know, new music from Chi Ali. AJ nothing but a number and then boom boom and I was like yo what is that and I just froze for three minutes just watching this video little girly listen to me stop giggling and kissing to me and I was like and as soon as it was done I was like I want to do that and I told my mother I said Ma, I want to do that and I pointed at the tv and she wow. was like go for it whatever you want to do my mother was that type like you know she she still is she's that type I'll do it you want to do it rock so i'm nine years old most parents would have been like yeah all right, whatever she was like go for it you know and um that was it so that was my first falling in love with this is what i want to do you know i was a fan of course before that i was a little kid though. i was running around playing with toys and cartoons but that was when i was like this is what i want to do and i never looked back so people always be like when did you start rapping when i was nine when did it become serious when i was nine was like nine. it was serious from day one <laughs> Yeah. And, 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 and like, that's when, you know, you have something, right? Like when you're like that young and you're like, this is what I want to do. And like, and like, I understand that you were, um, that you were in Big's area around the time that he passed as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause, cause I think you mentioned on, it's all good from Metropolitan kind of like seeing, seeing, um, you you mentioned something about Biggie Earn. I can't remember anymore. Damn. Mm -hmm. I'm blanking on the exact lyric, but yeah. yeah. So like, so like, you know, like it's obviously around you and like in your it's 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 like in your blood basically mm-hmm. so it's you know it's yeah 100 <laughs> i mean I, I grew up up the block from big you know what I mean? right. so like you see these guys every day and i talk about it on the record i talk about it on saint james place in particular where yep. on, on uh, saint james liquors you know where mm-hmm. i'm like yo like 
we saw this every day. Like these guys was right there, you know, like, and, and that was all the inspiration you needed. So at that point, when Big is blowing up, I'm like 12 years old. I'm already rapping. I'm already thinking I'm going to get a record deal tomorrow. You know, I'm 12 years old. I'm young and gung-ho and, and, and just full of ambition and, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get signed tomorrow because you know my mother knows so and so who knows so and so and they know so and so so I'm gonna get a record deal. Like that's that always was, it, right? Yeah, that's I mean, always it. 11, 12 years old, you know. So that's what I'm thinking. So, um, but then seeing Big and watching them shoot the Juicy video and seeing wow. him go from the guy on the corner, you know, sitting outside blowing an L and kicking it with C's and all of them to like, yo, they're playing it on the radio. Yo, they're showing the video. Yo, they're doing, and it's like, oh snap. And you see this thing, you know, and then you see the world going crazy for the guy who lives 45 seconds up the block, who you see every day. And that was all the inspiration. It was like, oh, pfft, we good. Like, we could definitely do this because he did it and he's killing it. He's the best. We could definitely right. do this, you know, and, and that was it. That was all the inspiration you needed. Right. And, and yeah, this was like before Brooklyn became the, this is before New York and Brooklyn specifically became the center of the universe like it is now. So, yeah, right, 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 right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at least. Yeah, at least like to clarify, like in the way that we understand it to be now, because of course, yeah, 100 percent, 100 percent. Yeah, he did that. Yeah, totally. And um, so, you know, like you're like you're growing up like this, you're growing up around people like big and you're growing up like, you know, like seeing seeing video music box and Chiali and all that great stuff. Um, as, as your relationship with rap and film are kind of like developing side by side, was there ever a moment when you consciously linked the two of them together where you were like, these two fit together really well and they inform each other in a way that you might not have thought of before? I think I did it subconsciously. You know, mm. I think as a writer, I always told stories some of them were uh, kind of subconscious and, you know, kind of like not in front of you and you had to figure it out. And some of them were straight up blatant stories. This guy went here, that guy went there, and then this guy went around the corner. And then when he went upstairs, he saw this. So then when he left, like that's more blatant and direct, you know, like, you know, that's like warning and somebody's got to die and, you know, one love, like that's that type of story, you know. Um, and I started doing that stuff in my music very early, too. It's something I still do. You know, you take a record like Richie off Retropolitan and you take a record like 10 Days off Retropolitan. You take, you know, so so many records, man. Like my my albums are loaded and littered with stories. Um, so I think subconsciously I did it without realizing that I was writing not to just write and not to just be dope, but writing stories and writing things that I wanted people to see when they heard it, you know, and I didn't say I want to make this like a movie. It was just the way I knew how to write. And that was from growing up around certain guys, growing up in certain eras, listening to certain music, being a fan of films, like you said. And it kind of just came full circle without me realizing. Yeah. And like, that's how it happens sometimes. Like there isn't, there isn't always necessarily going to be like a moment where you can see it, but like mm -hmm. looking back on it, like, I feel like, that's what makes that's what makes a record like all the brilliant things so interesting to me is because it's so much about like the past present and future like it's really right. it's really just you like kind of like how in celebration of us was kind of like you standing at a certain point looking back especially in the context of like your son just being born like right. this is this is like an even this is that on an even grander scale right like right. Really because that album that yeah that album i love in celebration of us it's, it's it was my favorite record I had done up until this point. You know, um, that record, man, I hold that record very, very near and dear to me. And 
that record was about black people, black culture, black pride, the ups and downs, the pitfalls, the plights, like all of that. I wanted to make the blackest album I could and without being overtly like I'm black and I'm literally black and yeah, like the corny <laughs> shit. Yeah, I feel yeah, like, like I, you know, I, I didn't want I wasn't coming out dressed in a certain way and doing all that. I just wanted to make an album that really reflected who we are as a people, the things that have been done to us, the things that we've done to ourselves, because you know, that's a reality too, you know. Um the things that the reasons why we do certain things to ourselves because of 400 plus years ago and how that thing right. will never change and it'll always impact the way we move as black folk whether we realize it or not and whether people around us realize it or not all those types of things i wanted to celebrate us and that's what in right. this is in celebration of us and that's why i was titled that uh so i wanted to make the blackest album i could and i felt like i accomplished that and then with this album i wanted to really break down gentrification and cultural appropriation and culture vultures and all that type of stuff and how they go hand in hand and like you said it kind of continues on that path it segues into other things and it segued off of retropolitan like retropolitan i talked about it a little bit and people mm -hmm. took that as yo yo the album's crazy you talk about you know gentrification and all that and in my mind i was like yeah i did but man you haven't heard nothing yet <laughs> like because this thing i'm about to do next like that was like the trailer like you know what i mean that was like as far as being about gentrification that album is an amazing album i love retropolitan but as far as it being about gentrification that was like the trailer to this movie you know i mean like yeah, this right. is all about that like there is no eastern conference all-stars there is no you know what i mean there's no carry the tradition there's no glorious right. this is solely about gentrification and culture vultures yeah, hey, absolutely Absolutely. And before we move on, I didn't want you to think that I missed that CB4 reference with the blackity black shit. That was that was. Oh, yeah. Shout out to CB4. He still is so ahead of his time, man. Another Brooklyn yeah. guy, best star guy. So yeah. ahead of his time, man, because that movie was decades ahead of his time. You know what yeah. mean? Decades like, man, whew, he that yeah. that's a good one, man. That That's one that people should talk about more. Oh, totally. Yeah. No, no, no. CB4 is incredible. Like, I'm surprised that I don't even know if it's available to stream anywhere. Like, that's a movie that I like. I, I always want to go back and watch it. And I'm like, I can't yeah. find you know, it. I got the DVD. <laughs> I'm old school, man. I, I got DVDs. I still buy Same. DVDs of certain things. If, if it's worth it. Because like you said, oh, we can't stream it no more. So it's like you thinking, oh, we, we can watch the movie whenever on so-and-so site. All right, mm. cool. Or so-and-so app. And now it's gone. But if I yeah. own that tangible DVD, I can watch it whenever I want. You know what I mean? So... I, I still own a lot of DVDs. Yeah, I got I got a whole stockpile of DVDs like at my crib yeah, yeah. in Jersey. Like that, that's 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 mm -hmm. yeah, no, nah, it's that's 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 too real. So before we get into the album proper, um, I know you've also worked on movies as well, particularly you served as a consultant on the movie Patty Cakes back yeah. in 2014. Um, so like I guess I was just wondering, like, how did your experience working on Patty Cakes kind of inform your understanding between the relationship? or excuse me on the relationship between rap and film it was such a learning experience about how films are made and and you know just getting into the meat and, and potatoes of all that and the differences and similarities with creating an album versus creating a movie you know and all that type of stuff and from just the music side it was dope because you know the movie's about uh, a young female white rapper over you know a little overweight etc cetera, etc cetera. so it had all these all these stripes against her she's a female she's white she's overweight she's from a small town excuse me from a small town in new jersey all these different things that go against her making it as a star and the movie had to prove yo this girl is a star the world just doesn't know it yet and sometimes she doesn't even know it but she's a star so i always tell people it's like a newer generation's version of eight mile 
you know, mm-hmm. a little more comedy in it, but it's it's this generation's version of Eight Mile in a sense. Like it, it kind of carries that on. And um, when they reached out to me, man, uh, Jay Period put that together. Shout out to Jay Period. He reached oh, wow. out to me. Yeah, he he was friends with the director, director Jeremy. Shout out to Jeremy, man. Great, great dude. Reached out. Uh, Jeremy reached out to Jay Period and uh, was like, man, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of Sky Zoo. Do you know him? And he was like, yeah, I know Sky. I could plug you with him. And he plugged me up. And um, Jeremy wanted somebody to come in and be a consultant and teach Danielle McDonald, amazing actress, uh, teach her how to rap. You know, she never rapped in her life. You know, her experience with hip hop was modern day stuff. You know, she loved Nicki. She loved Drake. You know, all that type of stuff, which is great. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. This generation, no those are the hits and they get busy. So that's great. So Jeremy wanted her to be able to pull off being looked at as a rapper. So when you're at home or you're in a movie theater, you're like, yo, this girl's supposed to blow up because she's really, really dope. You know, if you're trying to sell this story of she's the underdog that you're rooting for, but then she don't sound good. You're like, well, that's why nobody fucking whatever, because she's whack. So she had to be believable and had to be dope. So he felt like I was the perfect person for that and being a fan of mine. So off top, that was a huge honor. And I appreciated all that. We met up and, you know, we figured it out. And I was like, yeah, I'm super down. You know, I'm down for all that and, and let's do it. And Danielle was so awesome, man. Like it was it was almost it was almost like rap school. Like I had to coach her. Like right. so, you know, we would get on the phone every day or we would get up in person two, three days a week and I would have her rhyming. I had her come to, to Ilmine studio, you know, in bed style <laughs> on Nostrand. And that was a grimy block, you know, and she came like by herself, like ready. You know what I mean? Like yeah. took an Uber there from her hotel and Boom, ready to rock on the grimy block with fiends all around it, you know, and she showed up and she was ill, you know. So um, so yeah, it was it was dope, man. You know, she nailed it, she knocked it out the park, and then they put me in the movie with a role, and then you know, they gave me an associate producer credit and some ownership. Oh wow. Yeah, I'm all right. producer on it. I own a piece of the movie. So it was all amazing, man. It was a really, really great experience. I got a lot of love for those guys, man. And and shout to Jeremy and Danielle McDonald and everybody involved. It was dope, man. It was it was really cool. Yeah, that's great. Like, have you like have you ever had the, have you had the opportunity to work on any other movies in that capacity or was it just that? Not yet. I have um, some things that I'm working on. There's some stuff floating around that that I'm involved with. So hopefully that stuff comes out sooner than later. Uh, but I the, the funny thing, the funny thing about it is that I've been looking at, you know, uh, writing screenplays. I got a ton of stories and a ton of things I've been writing. I actually have a television series uh, that I've been writing forever, man. I started working mm. on pilot in like 2008. I just had this idea. I can't get into what it is because it ain't out yet. But um, I came up with this idea in like 2008 for this pilot. And I had been working on it gung-ho ever since, you know, so it's been a long time just developing it, just developing characters and stories and ideas and writing some of it. And I actually wrote a full pilot episode and I started writing the second episode. Then I got an idea for two other TV shows and I got an idea for three movies. And so I got a lot of other things that I'm right. kind of writing when I'm not writing music, you know, and, and um, hopefully getting these things off the ground soon. That's beautiful. Wow. <laughs> it's you. always it, it's it's always great to just like, yeah, like the ideas just snowball like that's Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, it, that's it all goes with writing. You wake up three in the morning with an idea and you write it down, you know? Oh, like, man. For real. No, I hear that. And like and 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 like and like one thing about the way you put stories together, like whether it's through what whether it's through a screenplay or through a song, like there's a line on one time from Retropolitan that kind of that I feel like kind of neatly sums up your general approach to the way that you write. 
um, it, like, it always sticks out to me whenever I go back and listen to it. It's when you said uh, uh, all coded for who in the scrimmage. So if you didn't get it, you should be lucky that you didn't live it. Yeah. Like that line, like that line, just it really just ties everything you do yeah. into such a nice, neat little bow. And I right. was wondering, like outside of wanting to authentically communicate your own lived experience, like as someone who was steeped in this culture, like, mm. do you like, do you feel a responsibility to put on for a specific kind of rap consumer? Cause it kind of feels like you take, I mean, like, I feel like you take pride in what you do. 100%. And 100%. yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I, I, yes, I, I feel a responsibility. I feel a responsibility to the people who have been riding this long and who are vested in, in what I do and who are super invested in what I do and, and, live and die by my music and love my music and adapt to it and relate to it. And they depend on it. Right. So I always compare it to like a restaurant. You go to a pizza shop every day and this is like the best pizza in the world and you love it. And it's the pizza you grew up on and everything is great. Then one day you go in there and it's the pizza shop and it's pizza and da, 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 da. But you go in there and they offer you Chinese food. Mm. You're like, well, what? I didn't come here for this. So now you can't trust that pizza shop no more. You know, now you can't trust that. So now you're looking for a new pizza shop. So I look at it the same way where people know what they come to me for. They know it's lyricism. They know it's bar heavy. They know the beats are great. They know it's storytelling. They know everything is cohesive. They know it's a full project. It's never just some joints. They know it's doubles and triple entendres. That's going to take them years to fully break down. So it's yeah. worth them spending the time to do it because it's not a lot of music nowadays. You listen to it once and you got it all. It's a lot of albums that came on. Yeah, that album's dope. I heard it. You heard it once and you got it. You figured it out. You got it. It served its purpose. My music is forever. You listen to it now. You listen to it. Some people still listen to the Salvation. They listen to, you know, the Easy Truth. Listen to Dream Deferred. Those records came out five, ten years ago, whatever it is. That's the goal. That's what you want, you know. So for me, you come to my spot. You come to my soul food spot. I'm never going to whip out Mexican food. I'm never going to whip out, you know, uh, Thai. As much as I like all that stuff, you came to me for soul food. I got you. Now, tomorrow, you might want Mexican. You can go to those guys across the street. Or you can go to the Thai restaurant around the corner. But when you want soul food, you come to me, you know, you're getting the best. And that's the way I look at it. So that's where the responsibility comes in that you mentioned. You know, um, right. I do have a responsibility to all those people that come to SK Soul Food every day and they want to hear out of it. Like the, yeah, I, I got a responsibility yeah. to those people. But on top of that, I feel like I have a responsibility as far as a voice. You know, as artists, we're supposed to have a voice and use that voice. You look at everything Curtis Mayfield was doing and Marvin Gaye was doing and Gil Scott Heron and Bill Withers and all these guys. And I feel like a lot of artists in the, the popular music now don't use that voice or don't adhere to it. and Don't acknowledge the fact that it's a real thing, that they have that voice, because those artists were the popular artists at the time. Right. Like oh, Curtis yeah. Mayfield was a humongous artist. Marvin Gaye was a humongous artist. Like Bill Withers. Yep. These guys were humongous artists. So it wasn't like oh, they were making that type of music because they was underground and nobody knew about them. No, no, no. These were the guys who ran the radio and sold out tours and sold millions of records. Even James Brown, I'm black and I'm proud. You know, like he was yep. the biggest artist in the world, sold out the Apollo, sold more records of that live from the Apollo album than anybody at the time. Like these are humongous artists. He's like the equivalent of Drake. And he made, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. that was the responsibility kicking in like yo we have this huge voice where we're the biggest artists in the world we're supposed to use that voice just like uh in the movie like one night in miami you know when they were talking yep. when malcolm x was talking to sam cook about it like yo, you have this huge voice you got to use it in a certain way and then he did you know so yeah, i feel that responsibility yep. and i think a lot of the the main 
artists and the popular artists, they don't adhere to it or they know they have it, but they wait for someone else to do it. Cause they're like, if I do it, it'll jeopardize this bag. Yeah. It'll jeopardize this brand. <laughs> it'll jeopardize this meeting I got with Sprite tomorrow. It'll jeopardize this Nike deal I got on the table for, you know, 10 M's. I get all that. And I'm not telling you walk away from that because I'm not walking away from 10 M's, but there's a way to do both. There's a way to maneuver around it. It takes intelligence and you smart, you can figure it out. You know, it takes intelligence. Right. You know what I mean, it takes a way <laughs> to do both and finesse it and, and, and maneuver it and still take care of your family for life. You know, so I feel a responsibility on that sense more than anything. And I've always vowed to live up to that responsibility. I feel it. And it's it's great that you mentioned Marvin Gaye because what's going on just turned 50, like not right. even a month ago. Like a and like or something. Yeah. And, 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 you're like, and you're like, think about think about how think about how we think like not even just like that, like like the album, of course, but like mm-hmm. that song, like that song, it's it's lived for 50 years and not just like live, but like everyone knows that song. Right. And like and, and like like you said, like that was the like that was just like the popular song. It wasn't like some song yeah. that started out like nothing and then gradually grew right. over no, 50 years. Huge. Like that it was, was huge. And 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 you know, the stories yeah. of Motown like not really being with it because they was a little afraid of, you know, mm. records for the bedroom and the ladies love you and all that. And now you want to right. go this way and get your Gil Scott Heron on, you know what I'm saying, and all that. You know, they thinking about the bag and their business. So they supposed to, but as an artist, you're supposed to push back and be like, nah, we got it. We got it. You know, and and it worked. Obviously, it worked and it rang off. And, you know, there we are. Absolutely. And yeah, um, it's interesting that you just mentioned voice because uh, you also um, you also just underwent the surgery for the polyp that was on your throat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, you know, like a rapper losing their voice is probably like the scariest thought imaginable. Like, yeah, like I was real. It's kind (laughs) of like when Adele lost hers and, you know, freaking out or whatever. I get it, man. I went through it. You know, Um, yeah, I was on tour. I was on tour with with Elzai. We was on the Retropolitan tour and, you know, we toured a lot. We toured heavy night after night, no real off days and no real breaks. And you're really just going hard every night. You're on stage for an hour and change, going crazy. And it just started for a while. It was slowly getting raspier and raspier. And, you know, you don't think nothing of it. All right. Little by little, like chips away, like paint, like, all right, whatever. Right. Um, and then one night I'm, I'm on stage and it's just really bad. And I, I was voiceless. I had to do a lip sync show because I had no voice. You know, yeah. literally, I had no voice and I was shook. I was like, yo, as soon as I go home, I got to get this figured out. And we had like five more dates on that tour. And thank God I was able to get through it. You know, he gave me my voice back the next day where like it came back a little bit enough for me to finish the tour. And as soon as I got home, I went to the doctors and, you know, it was like, yo, you have a polyp on your on your vocal cord and it's pretty significant. It's pretty big. Uh, and it was like, we, we got to get this thing out and see if it's cancerous and, you know, make sure everything's cool. So I underwent the surgery. Thank God it wasn't cancerous and everything was smooth. And I couldn't talk for a month. You know, I had to slowly get my voice back. And then when I got my voice back, I had to learn how to work my voice again. So I remember the first time I recorded, because I got the studio in the crib. Like, I record everything at home. I have a full studio in my house. Right. So I go in the basement and I said, let me just play around a little bit. You know, the album wasn't done. I was like, let me just play around a little bit and throw on whatever and just mess around. And... um. I went to mess around and I didn't like how I sounded at all. I hated mm. it. And I got shook. And I remember saying, yo, I think I'm done. I think, I think I'm out. I think I'm gonna just tap out and leave this alone because I, I can't do it right. It's like, if you have ACL surgery, you tear your ACL. And after a year you come back and your cross ain't right. Or your hand, you got all the mechanics, everything is good, but it's something not hitting right. You know, and the like hardware is messed it. up. 
Yeah, just it, it, it was, just wasn't right, you know. So my pen was still moving. Like, I was writing when I couldn't speak. So my pen was still moving. Everything was great on that front. But when I kicked it, it was like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to go left and come back. And I just can't the same way. And But after, like, a week or two, um, it came all the way back. And then, boom, I got back to my AI shit. You know what I mean? Like, boom, I'm back. <laughs> so um, now I'm 100%. 100% fine. I record all the time, you know, uh, obviously I finished the album and then, you know, been doing feature work and other things and other projects I'm working on. I sound hundred percent back to normal. So I'm, I'm all the way good, but I needed to, I had to warm up after like a week, you know, that first week was rough, but I'm all the way good. Now everything's good. Now that's great to hear. Cause you know, cause you know, like that's your instrument and, yeah. to, and, and like to have it threatened like that is, is a lot. And I know you said that you were, um, I mean, you posted a couple of times about like wanting to try to finish the album before, before yeah. you got the surgery done. And mm-hmm. it sounds like you did and it sounds great. So, um, no, I, well, I, I finished it after the surgery. I did half of it before and then mm, half okay. of it after. So it's ill. Like when you listen to it, uh, some of the records, I sound a little raspier and some of them I don't. So you can kind of tell which ones were before and after the surgery. I was going to mention that. Yeah. Which, which I love because when you go back to like ready to die, it sounds like there's two biggies on there. Mm-hmm. Like it's a high pitched, you know, uh, you know, so you want to be hardcore with the gat the, the back, look about the gats in your raps. And then there's the, who the fuck is this page of me, your 546. So it's like two different biggies rhyming on it. The first half is like, he was all, new and young and excited and in the second half he might have been working on the album for a couple of months and got really comfortable in his voice and all that stuff and this album sounds like that where the first half is raspier because i still have the polyp and the second half is when it was gone and i'm kind of back to new like the new voice the brand new shiny voice so it's cool like i, I like that element of it you know they don't sound too extremely different where it's like right. two different people it's just a little bit it's a little bit you can hear you know uh uh, what records? Uh, what did I do before the surgery? Like Soft Eyes was before the surgery. Yeah, I could tell that definitely. Yeah, St. James Liquors was before the surgery. Um, uh, Tour the Neighborhood, Free Jewelry, those were all before the surgery. But then like Culturish was after the surgery and Something right. to Believe In was after the surgery. And, you know, just what money taught us was after the surgery. So it is, it's cool. I, I like that element of it. See, I hadn't even thought about that, especially like talking about the whole past, present and future thing and doing like a timeline. Like yeah. that's like 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 that's a subtle element that kind of adds mm-hmm. to that whole time. Yeah. See, yeah. no, it's cool. You, you you're 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 already you're already going crazy, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so, OK, so now we're here and we can talk about all the brilliant things, Let's which um, for, like, you know, like first and foremost, like the title, which you've kind of gone at a little bit, like kind of explaining how this whole i mean obviously we were just talking about the whole cultural appropriation and culture vulturing thing and how like these like you kind of you kind of broke down how to you these systems while they're really horrible and they affect millions even billions of people like they're brilliant in their design because uh, because of how like nefarious they are to just like sneak in and just like completely go through everything so like yeah yeah um, yes, yeah, so it's like walk me through where the initial idea of all the brilliant things came from. Just walking around my neighborhood, being fed up. <laughs> like, <laughs> walking around my neighborhood and being fed up, you know, corner stores turn into condos. You go, what the fuck, man? I used to go to the corner store, get a turkey, bacon, egg, and cheese, and now it's just fucking condo. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, just being fed up, you know, that's all it really was. It wasn't, it wasn't too much 
deeper than that. It became deeper when obviously I'm writing it, but the the reasoning behind it was very matter of fact. It was like this is whack. <laughs> it was like this right. is whack, and people don't really understand it. And you're watching like old ladies get moved out the neighborhood, and you're watching people not being able to afford where they live, and you're watching all these different changes. You're watching people move into the neighborhood who act like you're not there. So mm. you know, I'm walking my dog, you walking yours, but because you look more like you know. Um, Phoebe and Chandler on, on, on friends. And I look more like strike Dunham, you know, whatever. Okay, cool. Walking my Yorkie, you walking yours. I got Yorkie too. So whatever. <laughs> I don't got no pit bull. Like it's cool. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, you both got $2,000 dogs. You know what I'm saying? So like, whatever. So, you know, I'm walking my dog, you walking yours. And if I say, how you doing? You don't say anything or you look down or you look away or you pretend you're on your phone because in your mind, you don't have to acknowledge me because you think I'm going to be gone in a year. Those things really happen. And that's the reasoning behind it. It's like, we got to acknowledge these people over here. This is going to be ours soon. All we got to do yeah. is wait it out. And that's where the frustration and all that type of stuff came from. And then even with the cultural stuff as well, you look at, you know, the way our art and our culture is being used in the media. And that's fine because we're getting paid off of it. It's great. Hip hop runs right. the world. And we wanted that. We wanted mm -hmm. that since the 70s and 80s. We wanted hip hop to be respected and people to know that it was a real thing that was going to be here forever, like jazz, like rock, like R&B, like the blues, like country music, like folk. We wanted people to respect us the same way, and we got that. So the fact that our, our art and culture is being used so heavily to promote this product and that product, that's beautiful. Let's do it. But then when it gets to the point of exploiting and it gets to the point of now you're using people who don't even look like what you're representing and selling to sell this and represent this. And then my thing even deeper than that becomes the people who cover our art and our culture and our fashion and all of that mm -hmm. feel like they have the right and, and the gall and the audacity to dictate how we go about what we do and what's real and what isn't in our world. And it's like, how dare you either enjoy it or don't. It doesn't mean everything is going to be great that happens in our culture. Nah, some people design clothes and the shit is trash. A lot of people make music and the shit is trash. You know what I mean? Like, it is what it is. But don't sit there feeling like you can dictate us and tell us what to do. You either enjoy it or you don't. And if you don't enjoy it, step away from it. You know, the example I've been using on this whole press run is, imagine me telling a 75-year-old Italian grandmom how to make chicken parm and, and, and you know, how to make uh, Italian food. I could never. Like, the audacity of that. I could never. That it's in her blood, man. Like she was making, you know, spaghetti and Alfredo noodles from scratch with the egg and it like from scratch. Like, who am I to tell her, yo, this ain't real Italian food? That's a lot of audacity, man. You know what I mean? So I can either enjoy her cooking or if I don't like the way she put that together, I can go to another Italian grandmom and eat. But I can never tell her she ain't real and don't know what she's doing. Right. That's her. You know what I mean? But we're the only culture and the only people when we allow that shit all the time. We've been allowing it since jazz. We've been allowing it since rock. We've been allowing it since R&B. You got this whole blue-eyed soul and all that. We've been allowing it forever. And we're the only ones who do that. No one else does that. No one else lets right. that happen to what they create. Even outside of music. It's not just about music. And outside right. of that, no one lets their culture get taken over like that and controlled. And now you're telling us what's real and what's not. Don't ever tell me what's real New York or what's real Brooklyn or what's real hip-hop or what's tapping into my people ever. Unless you look like <laughs> me and you come from where I'm from and you're a part of where I'm from. Like, you could say that because we're from a similar place. We, we've we gone through similar experiences, even though you're from Jersey and whatever, whatever. We may not live the same life. If we walk down the street, they're going to look at me the way they look at you. 
and vice right. versa. So you understand these plights. You understand what I'm talking about. You know, if certain records come out or, or we go back to certain records that came out at a certain time, we know what that felt like being young black men in this world. We knew what it felt like when this record came out or when this record came out or when we had to have the Jordan 3s or when we had to have this coat and we had to have this Jansport bag. You understand that. You know what I mean? Because we, from, it's a similar thing. You know, if you're not part of this, there's no way you can understand that. But you're right. the one that's dictating what is and what isn't. Don't dare. You know what I mean? That That's all this is about. Right. And that's <laughs> it reminded me of uh, um, there's a bit on there's a bit on Atlanta, Donald Glover's Atlanta on um, the Juneteenth episode when uh, when um, oh, man, Zazie beats. I forget her character's name right now. It's, it's mm-hmm. going to kill me. But she's sitting with a like they're uh, they're at this lady's house. They're at a Juneteenth celebration. And she's a she, uh, she's a dark skinned black woman. She's married to this white dude who's like obsessed with black culture. Like he's been to Africa. He, mm-hmm. he like he's hanging out with the brothers like he was at the he was in the fraternity. He's giving right. people Hennessy like it's it's all this <laughs> shit. And like she tells a story. She tells a little anecdote about how he told her grandmother that she made her collard greens wrong. <laughs> and like right, you know like right. it's 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 like that you know like how right. how are you how are you gonna tell how are you gonna tell a, a black grandmother how to make collard greens like, do, you, like, like, <laughs> do you understand why we even eat those or what they made but like do you understand any of that you know what i mean so yeah it's that same thing man and, and and then these people even when they do it they don't they don't do it in a way to help they do it in a way to tear down and look like i'm better than like yeah yeah whatever that's whatever i'm i'm he, only, he ain't even doing it right. She ain't even doing it right. I'm better than that. Like, eh, you're a peon. Like, who are you? Like, you know, and 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 there's not enough people asking that question. There's not enough right. people stopping that shit from happening. And this is hopefully the start of us just getting some control back with this shit. And it's not about a race thing. Like, what I don't want people to do is hear the album and be like, oh, Skies, we don't like white people. Of course not. Like, some of my closest friends are white. Some of my closest business partners are white. I've made a lot of money with different types of people, black, white, Asian, you know, Hispanic, whatever. Like, you know, none of that stuff matters. It's just about what's happening with the culture because those people I just named, they never come at me in that regard. You know, it's not like they're yes men or anything like that. They never come at me in that regard because they know they're not from my walk of life. They get what I'm doing and they understand why I'm doing it. Excuse me, they support and they push and, and they're fans and they love it and enjoy it. But they don't come at me like, oh, you know, uh, you can't do this because of that or any other artist that who they may not know. They don't come at, oh, you can't do this because nah, like they just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. It's cool. Right. Totally. Yeah. And and like as a critic, I like as someone who like writes this type of who writes stuff like that and like really tries as hard as I possibly can to like to like have some measure of like understanding and give context where I can, you know, like I think. Mm-hmm. Like, like, it's really about that balance. It's about finding the balance between like critiquing something in a way that doesn't make it seem like, oh, I just don't get this and I think it's stupid. So I'm just going to tear it down just because, you know, like right, it, it's right. like it's like it's a really, you know, like speaking from the speaking from the music writer's perspective, it's a really mm-hmm. tight rope to walk and sure. not and, sure. and you're like not and like not everyone can do it well, <laughs> obviously. Right. But yeah, for you know, sure, like, man. But everyone thinks they can. Everyone right. thinks they can, you know. <laughs> Everyone's a critic, you know. You know what it is. Right, and it's a whole nother issue. Right, absolutely. Um, but while we're here talking about all the brilliant things, um, I, I really just wanted to go through. Yeah, um, since you were so nice to send through the lyric sheets, which thank you again, by the I way. Have so good. <laughs> um, I want. Um, I kind of wanted to. I kind of wanted to jump 
through five um five or six songs that kind of stood out to cool. me if that's cool with you cool all right yeah. so so i mean of course we got to start off with free jewelry because mm-hmm. like it's just the you know like it's there's there's three different beat changes across it and all three of them are classic samples so mm-hmm. um and and like the thing the first thing that stuck out to me outside of the sample was the fact that you started you started the song with this little story that you made out of all your album titles yeah which like it, it caught me off guard and so, like, like i think it took me until music for my friends where i was like wait a minute and i went back and then right, I right. The like, oh, so that's like, going. yeah yeah exactly so like like it all like it almost seems like you made those titles it almost seems like you made those titles to do that i mean I, like like i'm sure you didn't but like right it, it just fell <laughs> into place that way yeah it just, yeah. It just happened spontaneously like walking in the booth I didn't write that down walking in the booth i was just like you know uh, salvation uh, uh, and i was like oh, okay and then it, it kind of just happened you know what i mean it, that was just god in the room you know mm-hmm. yeah it was just a really nice moment that you know like for the fans i just for thought my that downhard fans to be like oh shit, yeah look what it did <laughs> and then it gets you excited for what's about to happen and you're like yo here we go here we go you know it was just a nice thing right and you know of course the um like you were saying the song is all about the song kind of brings all these issues out to the forefront and directly addresses directly addresses the um um the media perceptions that you were just talking about you know right. like a couple minutes ago and uh really just and really just like rings that out in a way that's like hey like like i understand that you have a perspective here but like you need to understand when it's your time to just kind of like not say anything and just like you said appreciate or just it. if you're going to say it just, <laughs> just understand what you're saying and why you're saying it and you know like it's 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 so layered man but but you get it totally clearly no of course and of course you know for me you know being the movie guy the one thing that stood out to me here is when you say my whole catalog is like i'm shooting a spike joint yeah yeah yeah. um so like just as like a random question like which spike lee movie do you feel is the closest to the tone you're trying to set with this album because do the right thing for sure okay okay without a doubt because that movie the neighborhood and you know the the moments of gentrification where you know dude ran over the sneaker and he had the celtics jersey on and you know and that was 89 man that spike was talking about that stuff you know so that was eons ago you know and and um right. you know bugging out it's like motherfucker gentrification that was you know what i mean that was a mm. long that was that was 89 and that yep. was written in that script you know so without a doubt do the right thing would be the one that kind of mirrors this the most and yeah, that makes sense because you use um um you use the mayor like clips from the mayor and mother sister throughout the yeah. album too. Mm-hmm. So makes perfect sense to hear that. And then you know from there, another one that stuck out to me was a tour of the neighborhood, which is which just to me, like that and I think St. James Liquors are kind of like extensions of the ideas on free jewelry, but you're using your personal details to kind of bring this whole experience to life. You know, you're talking about like bodega credit and splitting the hero with the dime piece and mm-hmm. like you know, like, you know, like stuff br- happened you know, like Brooklyn wanting to, you know, like people wanting to rep Brooklyn because it's Brooklyn. And, um, and another thing that really stuck out was you growing up in a house and you said that, uh, um, you said that like you had like Leroy Campbell wallpaper. Yeah. Leroy Campbell (laughs) wallpaper. Yeah. And that's, it was beautiful. People people may or may not get, you know, what that means. I mean, Leroy Campbell is a highly esteemed artist uh, who actually used to live in my neighborhood back then. Like he lived in the neighborhood. He had a gallery. Was he on decal? I don't remember exactly where, but my pops used to go to his gallery and cop stuff from him directly. Now he lives in Atlanta, 
and I cop stuff from him directly. You know what I mean? So it's cool. Right. But Leroy Campbell's cost, man, like they cost a bag. They start at like twelve, thirteen hundred for a piece. And my pops has like thirty Leroy Campbell pieces in the crib. You know, so I was this kid growing up in the neighborhood, St. James, up the block from Big. And it was all this action and activity going on outside and dice rolls and weed smoke and blah, 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 and a shot or two here and there. And just all this activity that you hear about on Ready to Die, because that album is about my block. But then I would go in the crib and my pops is playing CD 101.9. And, you know, my mom's is making dinner. And, you know, what I mean, you know, and, and all these different things. And, and um, you know, it, it, it Leroy Campbell's is all over the wall. So it was this world and this world. And they were so opposite one another. But they all made sense in me becoming who I am. And that that's what that's about. Right. And that really stuck. like I can relate to that, which really helped me connect to this song. And uh I want to touch on that a little later because I feel like that kind of comes back on I was supposed to be a trap rapper. But before we get to that one, I wanted to talk about Bodega Flowers, mm-hmm. um, produced by Karl Marx. Oh yeah, I, oh yeah, I meant to, I meant to, I meant to mention the, all the, um, um, all the producers. Free Jewelry was Zarek Beats. A tour of the neighborhood was Thilo Martin. Shout out to Thelonious, that's the boy. Um, mm-hmm. Karl Marx did uh, Bodega Flowers. So yeah. like with, so like of course we're running with the idea here of giving someone their flowers while they can still smell them which is something we mm-hmm. all talk like it's 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 very specific like it's it's of course a general thing but i also feel like it's very specific to rap like we like like like, like within hip-hop culture we always talk about giving people people their flowers like mm-hmm. it's it's a new it, thing it's a new yeah. thing in the past couple years that i think is great um we weren't like that in hip-hop you know i tell people all the time i get dms from people and they'll be like yo man Yo, I just wanted to hit you up. You know, I ain't a dick rider or nothing, but I love your music, man. I appreciate it. And then I'm like, thank you for one. For two, you don't have to preface it with that. Yeah, like. <laughs> Showing me love doesn't make you a dick rider. Like, like... hitting me a hundred times a day about stupid shit and just wanting to say hi kind of makes you a dick rider. But like, just saying, yo, I love your music, man. Your music helped me through this, changed my life. Can't wait to see your next show. Can't wait for your next album. That doesn't make you a dick rider. That makes me somebody to be like, yo, I rock with you. When you come to the show, let me know who you are and we'll grab a drink or, you know, we'll take a flick, you know, because it's love. You know what I mean? And I tell people as independent artists in this day and age, we need that love because a lot of times the love is what pushes you through. If you're not getting your just due from the media and you're not getting, you know, the you're not getting 80 grand a show and all that type of stuff. So it's the love that pushes you through. Like, yo, you know what? I know this is going this way instead of that way, but the love makes me want to do it. So I tell people, man, like, give it up. It's cool. I have no problem telling my my heroes or people I listen to or people I like that they're dope. I mean, I made a whole record about Spike Lee, you know, like, right. you know, like I, I have no problem giving people them flowers, man. And I love the fact that it's become a thing nowadays. It was overdue. So I love the fact that it's become a thing that everyone wants to do. People putting flower emojis up and, yo, you better give so-and-so they flowers, B. Like, yeah. that's dope. You know, but with this record, it's about us getting our flowers from all these people who have taken from us within our culture and who run this culture now that we've created and they just took it and ran with it and now they control it. It's about giving us our flowers and appreciating us for what we brought to the table and what we've done before it's too late, before we start snatching them shits. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. That's why I said, you know, ain't a flower missing, ain't a reason to snatch yours at all. Like I'm saying, like, all right, there's not a flower missing over here. All right, cool. I don't got to take yours. You know what I mean? Like, 
yeah, we good yeah. now. I'm missing some flowers, then I'm taking yours, you know, and that's what I'm saying. And I'm speaking for us as a people, you know, as black creatives and black people living in our neighborhoods and who we are. I'm speaking for creatives and people marching in the street and people fighting for all these different things that are going on. And that's what I'm saying. Like, yo, respect us, understand us, love us the way you love our culture and all that. And that's what that record's about. Totally. And I was really struck by this image of you like there, like I forget the exact line, but there's like an image of you getting flowers from the bodega and passing them to people in the hood. And like that really yeah. stuck out yeah. to me, like just yeah. just yeah. just like being you specifically, like not even mm-hmm. just like any one particular person, you. Right. Sky Zoo specifically handing yeah. like that's like yeah. that kind of local that kind of local like hand-to-hand type shit like that's really important and there's people i talk about on my records who nobody would know unless you lived in my neighborhood you know like people that things have happened to you know there was a dude named kelly rest in peace to kelly i talk about him on this album a little bit and i've spoken about him in records in the past i actually put his picture in the uh celebration of us artwork kelly was an old dude he was like the mayor he was just like the mayor and do the right thing literally you know um he was an older guy who lived outside and he everybody in the neighborhood knew Kells. Everybody knew him. And he was a, you know, grandpa type dude. And he took care of the neighborhood. He would literally sweep the neighborhood every day. Mm. He wasn't crazy. He wasn't quote unquote mentally ill. Nothing. Loved the block, loved the neighborhood. And he lived outside. But like he didn't have a home to sweep up. So he would sweep up the block, the neighborhood. He would right. shovel the street, not asking for money. You know, all the leaves would come down, you know, when the spring hit and he would sweep the floor. Boom. He would sweep. You know what I'm saying? But he he had his, his issues. He was an addict and da-da-da-da-da. But he was awesome. He wouldn't let nothing happen. If a, if a lady came home in the middle of the night, three in the morning, and something was going on, maybe her and her boyfriend was beefing up, Kelly would get in the mix and be like, yo, chill. We're not doing that over here. You know what I mean? Kelly got killed by some young kids where there's some kids came from to the neighborhood who wasn't from the neighborhood. And they was making some noise and bye-bye. He was telling them, chill out. Like, yo, chill the fuck out. It's three in the morning, mm. people sleeping. And they popped him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I talk about Kelly on the record a lot. You know, rest in peace to Kelly. And I, you know what I mean? Like I, I say all that on, I, I think I spoke about him on Soft Eyes, when I said, um, added happy trees where bodies decorate the floor. Rest in peace to Kelly and the homies that came before, because Kelly got killed in front of a tree. So, right. you know, so they found him laying in front of the tree. So that's why I said, Rest in peace to Kelly, you know, and I said, uh, added happy trees and body with bodies decorate the floor. I'm talking about him and I'm like, rest in peace to Kelly and the homies that came before, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that's just an example. So like, you know, that's a guy nobody would know unless you lived on my block, you know what I mean? But, you know, if you lived on my block, you know, Kelly, but just because people don't know him don't mean I'm not going to mention him, give him some love, you know what I mean? Like, so that's kind of the shit I'm talking about, you know, with Bodega Flowers and all that. Yeah. Like that's what makes you you. And that kind of goes back to the whole authenticity thing. Like you're being true to yourself and being true to your neighborhood. And that's what people expect from, and, and, and like, forget what people expect from you. That's what you take pride in. And Absolutely. it's important. And, 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 and it's great to hear you like explicitly put that forward on a song in that way. Yeah. I thought that, I thought that was really clever. Yeah. Appreciate um, it. No, of course. And then we move on to, uh, and then, and then now we're at, um, I was supposed to be a trap rapper produced by, uh, the guy, J.R. Swifts and, um, Artie Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you kind of, um, we kind of touched on this before this whole, um, you know, like reconciling these two different aspects of like the area you're living in, like seeing all the wild shit happening outside and having something a little more, um, just like, I guess the word I'm looking for is like, 
just kind of a balance, you know. It kind yeah, of was definitely. like yin and yang. It kind of was the yin and yang. Yeah, that, that was how I grew up. You know what I mean? Right, and and like and like you bring and like you bring that to the music, like with I was supposed to be a trap rapper. And one of the things I love about this song is that you kind of you show how many similarities there are between a so-called trap rapper and a so-called backpack world. rapper. Yeah, because like because like for me personally. Um, I remember when Doom passed away mm-hmm. uh, and like that, that, that hurt because that's my favorite rapper ever. Wow. And um, so in 2019, there was this little fight on Twitter happening about like be- between like Doom and Gibbs, like who was the better rapper. And people mm-hmm. were like comparing and contrasting like the things that they talked about. And the first thing I noticed was like, are y'all like listening to the things that Doom is saying? Like you like go right. you like you go listen to Operation Doomsday and he's talking about like he's talking about like moving weight and mm-hmm. a whole bunch of crazy shit. Like everybody always thinks about like the superhero stuff and the cartoon stuff which is awesome. That shit is great. But like Doom went through some shit and he rapped mm-hmm. about it in the and, and and like I was just like these two rappers who you think are so diametrically opposed aren't really that exactly and that's yeah. and and that's what stuck out to me when i was supposed to be a trap rapper i just love that you took the time to be like hey these two these two supposedly different types of rap are not that different yeah like, and, and you know the idea came from my fans who i love dearly because they've made my life what it is my fans don't know the world i grew up in and how different it is from what they think like you would think Fans of mine may think, you know, oh, um, this guy's who grew up like this and and all he was around was this type of music and this type of whatever and listening to, you know, Dead Prez and, and Black Star and all that, which I did, you know, and that's what I'm saying on the record. My friends wasn't listening to none of that. My friends was listening to what was hot on the radio. My friends was listening to street rap, trap rap, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, trap rap didn't exist then, but what that represents, they was listening to that. And now they, they into trap rap and drill rap and all that. When it comes right. to my side of the fence, the only thing they listen to on my side of the fence is me. They love me. They're like, Sky's the greatest rapper ever. Nobody's nicer than him. Sky was killing people since we was 12 years old. He's still killing people <laughs> however many years later and all Real that. Friends. Stuff. But they don't, they don't, you know, they don't listen to anything else on my side of the fence. You know, uh, so what I'm saying in that record is based on the neighborhood I grew up in, the stuff that I saw, my best friends who I was ra- around every day, who I'm still around, I was supposed to be that type of musician. I was supposed to be a guy who would make records for that lane because that's the lane I grew up in. I just bust a left, you know, so I was coming home with Slum Village CDs and, you know, talking about little brother shows that I was going to, like, yo, I'm going to the little brother show. And my friends was like, Okay, like, you know what I mean? And I'm like, yo, little brother's the dopest shit out. And they're like, okay, no doubt. And they would go back to listening to whoever was popping in, you know, 03, 04. You know what I mean? Like, it was that type of thing. And I'm like, yo, Slum Village, Jay Dilla, Little Brother, Dead Prez, Black Star. But I'm also listening to the other stuff. You know, I'm also listening to all the Rough Rider stuff. You know, my favorite group ever is The Locks. You know what I mean? Of course, yeah. That's why I said on the record, you know, the tug of war from LB and LOX. You know what I mean? Like, that, there was a tug of war. Like, yo, I I love y'all and I love y'all. And then, you know what I mean? I'm being pulled, which is great because it's just about being a fan of music. And a lot of the people, a lot of fans just don't get that. And I'm like, yo, don't, don't get it twisted. Like, I was supposed to be this type of guy. I didn't grow up 
in that type of world at all. I just chose to get into that world because I liked it and I liked the lyricism and I liked the beats and I loved, you know, uh, the listening. Great, incredible, classic, right. you know, but yeah. my world didn't look like that. I just thought it was an amazing record and I still do, you know, so to my fans and to the listeners and to the people who may not be fans or the critics or whatever, whatever. It's not just about talking to my fans, the critics and, and the people who whatever, whatever, like, yo, don't get it fucked up. Like, this is who I really am at heart in certain regards, not all regards, but certain regards, because it isn't a facade. I'm not putting on a, a, a suit because, yo, this is the shit that's working, this backpack shit, so let's do it. No, 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 Like, I love the music I make. I love, you know, the listening and and uh you know fantastic volume two and like, i literally love that stuff you know what i mean like it's a part right. of me but there's also this other side that i love as well and there's nothing wrong with that and then at the end when i flip it that's just a proof of right yeah I, I was supposed to be this type of guy let me prove it to you because anybody could have heard that and been like oh yeah all right okay all right <laughs> i'm gonna show you I, I, yeah. this is, I could i was supposed to be that guy you know put the fine point on it yeah exactly exactly yeah, and 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 that's great because like because like while you don't explicitly say that there's similarities between these two things, like that's mm-hmm. kind of the implication is like these, right. or, or at least is what I got from it. For, like, for sure, for sure. Like it, it's like that's important to me because like I like I'm just I'm just at the point in my life personally where I'm over people like dunking on a specific a specific kind of rap because yeah. it's about a certain and it's just like grow up. Like, yeah, chill. Just Stop enjoy that. it. Enjoy <laughs> what you enjoy. And if you don't, you don't. And what I was saying to somebody recently, too, is that, like, I think a lot of it, the fans do. But they do it with good intentions. Right. Of course. Like the fans yeah. draw this humongous line in between the two worlds. But their intentions are great. Their intentions are, yo, that shit over there is bullshit, man. That shouldn't exist. That shouldn't live. That shit is fucked up. We about this right here, you know, and they have right. great intentions. But. I'm like, yo, you don't know how many rappers on one side of the fence love the rappers on the other side. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know how many quote unquote backpack underground rappers love trap shit and mainstream shit and Drake shit and whatever. And you don't know how many of those guys love LB and love Tribe and love Sky Zoo and love Doom and love. Like, yeah, the line is the line don't even really exist when right. it comes to the artist. It ain't all about it being blurred. It don't even exist when we get together, but it's the fans who take this paint can and this paint roller and draw this huge line in the middle of the street, you know? And yeah, like Drake is a perfect example of that. Like Drake was rapping perfect. like Fonse. Like- <laughs> That's probably like- his favorite artist ever. You know what Yeah, I mean? like, you know, like it's just. Yeah, he, Tay, Tay is probably Drake's favorite artist ever. Absolutely. Even if he'll never say it. <laughs> even if he'll yeah, never I'm, say I'm just, it. you know, based off of like the early stuff and who, he, you know, what he does and who yeah. he became, you know, yeah. Like, so it's just like, yo, like, Come on, like let, let's let's get a grip on this thing. So that's all that was, and it right. just made a lot of sense within the context of the record. It was an idea that just hit me one day. You know, the way I make my records, I come up with song titles first, song titles and album titles. So I'll have a list of titles in my phone before I write one rhyme or one word or one song. I'll just have a, a list of song titles that I've been kind of accumulating over some time. And I just thought of that title one day. It just right. hit me. It was like I was supposed to be a trap rapper. Yo, and then I, I called Jr. I was like, "Yo, I got this idea, and I think you're the one to do it as far as the beat." And I gave him a sample. I was like, "Chop this joint up, and let's go here and do this and do that." I was like, "I think you're the the one to do it. You're you're absolutely the one who would make sense on this record." And we knocked it out. 
Yeah, shout out to Jr. because he because he and Elzai did that album and that album's incredible. Um, um, seven seven times down, eight times up. Good mm-hmm. shit. Um, okay, so not to take up too much more of your time, let's move on to Best Eyes Burning. Yeah, which which is the lead single for this album and was inspired by you um what by you reading uh, Brian Platzer's uh, 2017 novel called Bed Styles Burning and mm-hmm. like talk to me about how that kind of inspired this whole kind of credo because because like I feel like this is where the gentrification aspect of the album really comes through and like you make it super yeah like light. you see the neighborhood literally on fire you know right. um I I saw the book um. Angela Yee had posted the book a while ago on her page and, you know, I follow her or whatever. And I saw it and I was like, oh, shit. And I just stopped. And I was like, what's that? And I looked it up uh, and I bought it and I uh, had it ordered to the crib and I read it. And I was like, yo, this is crazy. And it was the title that got me more than anything. Even before I read it, it was just the title. It was so strong. It just spoke volumes. And I was like, hell yeah, I got to make a record called Best Eyes Burning. But I didn't want to flip. I didn't want to flip the. I didn't want to take the title exactly from the book at first, so I was gonna flip it, and I think I was gonna call it like a fire sale in the sky, and I was like, yeah, but that's kind of wordy and long, a lot of syllables. Right. I just didn't love the title because I say it in the hook, which I love it in the hook, but mm-hmm. titling a song that I didn't that bed just seeing bed styles burning, it just said, oh my gosh, it speaks fine. Like if you saw that on your phone or on your computer or whatever new single bed styles burning you're like whoa because some people yeah. might be fire sale in the sty and not know what the sty is and just seeing you know bed styles burning it just would knock people away and be like oh i gotta hear this what is he talking about i gotta hear this you know and i just ran with it and i was like i don't know who do who do this who wrote the book but i'm i'm just running you know what i mean and and, and we did it and all that and then um the funny thing was that he reached out and he loved it he loved it and um went crazy he was like yo this is incredible like he loved it and we got really cool we're cool now you know like we, we did that spawned into a dope relationship with us like we text and kick it and all that and um yeah he loved it he was like man what you did with that record just was 20 times more than i did with the book he literally said like what you did with that record is 20 times more than i did with the book like you really just took it to a whole new level that i'm just in awe of and the book is great so to say that you know it, it's incredible it's humbling Right. Yeah. And, you know, like you t- so, so so like for anybody listening who's not familiar with the book, it's about a guy, a white guy specifically, who moves Family, to yeah. Bed-Stuy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like he kind of writes like he kind of writes about the neighborhood as someone as a new transplant. And Sky flips it and writes it as someone who's from the area and is like, hey, watching gotta- those guys come in. Yep. Exactly. 100%. And at the end, you know, like this is something that I feel like a lot of people can relate to just the idea of like people not from the neighborhood, like, like, like watching a show from their rooftop and like cursing out the show. Just like, yeah. just, just, just like, that's why, you know, you came for this, right. but you don't like it and you want it to go. I, I, remember yeah. being at one of the, I remember being at one of the spike block parties. Cause you know, I would always go to all of them. I wouldn't miss one. And, and I remember being at, at one of the spike block parties and seeing the people on the roof who live on that block now, live on Stuyvesant and all that, just standing on the roof looking down with, like, disgust or, like, when is this going to be over type shit. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's where that line on the third verse came from. Like, yeah, you came here for this. This is the block they shot the movie on. I mean, this is the block that right. every year there is a block party here. And everybody knows it. It's one day. It's great. The music's great. Celebs are there. Cool people. 
bunch of nutcrackers that you can drink. This is right. great. And it's only <laughs> for like eight hours. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. so if you don't like it, just take a trip to, you know, Long Beach or something and go to the beach or just, you know, take a trip to, <laughs> you know, go to Manhattan for a while. Take your kids to the MoMA or something like that. Like, right. but it's it's a day and it's great. Leave it alone. You know what I mean? Like, and, you know, it, it. I've seen it, you know, and I just got just tired of it. Yeah, I get it. It's it's um it's a lot and it's kind of it's getting worse, which is why it's getting worse and it's happening all over, which is, you know, mm-hmm. like, like even the area like I grew up in, like I grew up in the burbs and like even like, and like even the burbs are kind of sort of getting gentrified in a way. It's like everything, man. And, and that's, <laughs> that's the beauty of the record. And that's why I flipped it in the hook where I named different cities and all that, because yep. it ain't just a, a New York thing. It ain't just a Brooklyn thing. It's happening everywhere else. I mean, seeing it firsthand in Brooklyn and I think it hit Brooklyn harder than it hit anywhere else. The, like how vast it is, like how it was here and now it's all the way over there. It hit Brooklyn more than it hit anywhere else as far as just the impact, but it's happening everywhere. I got friends in Detroit, Chicago, LA, yeah. being in Atlanta now, living in Atlanta, like all that, like I see it, I see it everywhere, you know? And, and um, I've had people hit me, man, when the record dropped, people was hitting me from Berlin. People was hitting me from London. People was hitting me from Australia saying the same thing. Like, yo, it's happening right. here too. It's happening here too, you know? Yeah, it's 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 just wild to think about. And like it's really like like it affects everyone. You know, like it affects certain people in certain areas more than others, but it really affects everyone. Like yeah. that's the that's the thing that you really hit the nail on the head with by like doing the thing with the hook, especially. Yeah. Like that was that was a nice touch. And uh the last song that I wanted to talk about is the closing song, Soft Eyes, produced mm-hmm. by um um Twami, who's amazing. Twami's, yeah, Twami's, yeah, Twami's that guy. Yeah, yeah, all his all his work with Fly Anakin and Concept Jackson. Shout out to the whole Mutant Academy. They're they're yeah. they're all so dope. Um, so so most of this song is really about your legacy and mm-hmm. how and like where you kind of see yourself and where like the song like the part of the song the part of the song that really stuck out to me, of course, is the second verse where you're talking about your conversation with Fonte and about mm-hmm. potentially retiring, like you mentioned uh, uh, quite a bit earlier on mm-hmm. this joint. And like, you know, like, of course, I'm sure, I'm sure this was either like during or after the, um, um, the vocal surgery. And, I think it was or, right or, before. I think it was right before. Yeah. And like, you know, um, that's like, that's a, like, that's a really powerful conversation mm-hmm. for you to have, like, like like being at this point where you think you want to hang the mic up and then having mm-hmm. someone like Tay come through and be like, no, what the fuck? Like, no, don't yeah, do that. Uh-huh. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> it was awesome, man. Shout out to Tay. He's he's uh, he's family and he's obviously amazing. And everybody knows, you know, what what he's about and what he's built, man. And it's un- unparalleled. Just the LB as a whole, you know, uh, the whole the whole thing, LB as a whole, of course, pool, all that. Um, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so I just. I guess God walked in the room, man, because something just said, call Tay. You know what I mean? And, and I don't speak to Tay every day. Like, we super cool, right. but I don't speak to him every day. You know what I mean? It's not somebody who, yo, you crashed the game last night? Yo, you saw so-and-so do that? Like, you know, we don't do that, you know? So so I guess God walked in the room. Something said, yo, call Fonte. So I texted Tay, and I was like, yo, you around? He was like, yeah, yeah, I'm around. I was like, yo, I'm going to give you a shout. Like, yeah, and I called him, and we was on the phone for like three hours, man. Like, maybe longer. Like, I had to go pick up my son from daycare it was like we was on the phone for like a really long time and we was just chopping it up and just talking life and just different shit and just all types of stuff music and outside of music and everything and then i mentioned that and he was like you bugging he was like what you doing you know like what you doing it was almost like a big brother because he's a little older he was like what you doing you know what i mean like nah like 
what you talking about? And everything I said, you know, on the record was part of the conversation. He was just like, nah, man, don't don't let these motherfuckers tell you when to stop, bro. Like, you stop when you're ready. Like, you know, don't don't let these motherfuckers tell you when to stop. And I was like, you're right. He was like, look at, look at, you know, look at all the shit you've done. Look at everybody running around making music. Look at all the shit you've done. Like that, all this stuff is inspired by the shit you do, the shit, you know, obviously what LB does and you know, so many different people. And he was like, yo, like, look at all the look at all the shit you know, running around now, you know what I mean? Like you were part of that, you know, like you had a hand in that. It was like, nah, man, don't let nobody tell you when to walk away, bro. Like you good. Like you meaning like, yo, you, you rolling, man. You know, cause I just got to a point where I was just like, I love making music. I love all the shit. I don't really like the business side. I never did, but I'm starting to like it less and less by the day. Mm. And is this really worth my time? Is this really worth all that? And he was just like, yeah, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, don't don't That's don't right. let don't let all the business shit dictate how you get busy and what you're doing, you know, and that was what that was. And I appreciated that. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Because I know he went through some similar stuff himself. So, right. he, so he's speaking so he from experience and his right. bounce back of like, nah, bro, like you good, you know, exactly. Yeah. So so to kind of like tie up this conversation about the album and to kind of wrap up this general conversation, like. You know, like you've, you know, you've accomplished a lot over the course of the last, like you've, you've been, you've been like, you've been recording for almost 20 years at this point. And, mm-hmm. you know, like you've, you know, you've done, yeah, like, yeah, like you've, you've, you've done so much. And um, so at the point that you're at right now with this album about to drop in two days, um, if you were to retire this, if you were to retire, like the second after you drop this album, would mm-hmm. you be happy with the legacy that you've left behind? Hundred percent, without a doubt, without a doubt. I still know that there's so much stuff in the music people haven't gotten. I'm super cool with with walking away. As far as my legacy, if I was like, yeah, you know what, I'm really, really good. You know, I'm, I'm out. Like I'm being really good, meaning like I'm cool. Like I'm a step away. Hundred percent. You know, I'm not there anymore. I was at at a point, like I said before, I spoke to Tay. Right. Um, I'm not there anymore. I think I still got some run left in me, you know, of like just being creative and doing dope shit and telling stories through the music. But if I did, I'm super cool with this being the last one because it really, really is a splendid piece. And I'm super excited about it, man. And the, the things that, you know, the, the people that have heard it, the way they've been talking about it, man, like obviously not a lot of people heard it, but the people I've let hear it, whether it's media people and you know, friends or whatever, whatever, you know, I don't have yes men friends. I don't have yes men people in my circle at all. You know, I refuse. You don't get better that way. You get worse and dumber. Mm-hmm. Um, the people who have heard it, media, people out of strangers, whatever, I'm like, yo, this is, this is it. Like you, you got the joint of the year. I don't know who else is dropping this year, but you got it. Like this is an amazing record, man. And I'm just like, thank you, man. Like they've been using the word beautiful a lot, which I like. It's like, yo, this is a beautiful record, man. This is a beautiful piece of work. And I'm like, thank you, man. That's, that's, that's what I wanted. You know, that, that's what I was shooting for. I just wanted to tell a story, you know, and I, like every record, you know, I wanted a record right. that was the, the blackest album I could make, meaning talking about everything from the pitfalls and the plight, the highs and lows that, you know, everything. And then, same thing with this. I wanted a record that really captured gentrification and cultural appropriation, what they mean, how we got here, and how do we potentially get from here. And if I if I take on a job, I got to make sure I do it right. So when I wanted to make the blackest album ever, I had to make sure that or else I was going to get called out. 
So if I'm going to make a record about gentrification and cultural appropriation and really breaking this thing down, if I don't do it right and I half step on the cane, it ain't going to be right and I'm going to get called out. And you can't half step on the cane. You got to step all the way on that cane, baby. Like you can't half step, you know? Yeah, yeah. You got to put your whole angle in it or else you might as well have not done it at all. Right. Absolutely. Totally. Um, So my very last question for you before we officially dead this is uh <laughs> um what's the last movie or tv show that you watched that you enjoyed oh man um snowfall for sure without a doubt i'm <laughs> snowballed yeah. out oh my gosh i'm <laughs> snowballed out yeah i love it i am like i'm i got a needle in my arm man <laughs> like um snowfall uh movie wise i need to watch monster i didn't watch monster yet i need to because i grew up a big walter dean myers fan Mm. Uh, novelist like he wrote like a lot of preteen and teen books so if you were like 11 12 13 he wrote books still you know like his legacy is just books that young adults young black adults could relate to so mm-hmm. they had a little bit of sh- street stuff but not too much where your mom is going to be like why are you reading that and you know like he walked the line very very well for a preteen kid who looks like us living in the neighborhood whether it was Brooklyn or Chicago or Jersey or LA, whatever, like he walks that line incredibly well with his work. And obviously monster is one of his pieces. Um, I need to see mm-hmm. monster for sure. Yeah. But, but snowfall, snowfall without a fucking doubt, man. <laughs> <laughs> see, everyone's been talking about it. I started it and I'm going to finish it. I'm, I'm, I'm like at the point where I'm hooked too, but I'm like way back in season one. Yeah. And... I don't know how oh, <laughs> season one, Ooh, you got some shit yeah. coming, boy. Oh, I'm, man. I'm, I'm I don't so know ready. how you stop because what happened was, you know, everybody knows me and my taste when it comes to art and, and all that. And, you know, I speak about things that happen outside and, you know, all that type of stuff. So I'm a huge wire fan for that reason. And the art, of course, it, how amazing it is the greatest thing ever to me. One of the greatest shows ever, like for sure. Yeah. To me, it, to me, it's the greatest. And, you know, so all that stuff and that's cool. So, when Snowfall dropped, everybody was like, yo, Sky, you're going to love Snowfall, bro. You're going to love Snowfall. That shit is right up your alley. They talking about Coke and this and that and da-da-da and, you know, the government behind it and streets and da-da-da. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But for whatever reason, I didn't get to tap into it. I, I didn't get I didn't get to start, you know, um, life and whatever, whatever, for whatever reason. And I just kept saying, yeah, I got to do that. I got I to gotta start Snowfall. I got to start Snowfall. And it was earlier this year. I'm new to the, to the, to the fan club, man. It was right. earlier this year. I said you know what, let me buckle down and start Snowfall. And when I started episode one, I think I went through five right away. Like I just couldn't stop. And then the next night, my son goes to bed, cool, five more. Throw it on. Next yeah. night, my son go to bed, five more. You know what I mean? And then my parents my parents took my son for the weekend one weekend. Like, oh, yeah, give you guys a break. Mm. So my son for the weekend. And I wrapped the whole shit up that weekend. Like, you know what I mean? It was like, yo, what are you doing? Like, my parents were like, oh, what'd you do this weekend? Like, did you go out and, and, and enjoy the free time without Miles? And I was like, yeah, I enjoyed the free time, but I didn't go out. <laughs> like, what was you? Oh, I was up till like 8 a.m. watching Snowfall. And they were like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I was up till 8 a.m. watching Snowfall. I was just been, I was Hulued out. And man, oof, man, that thing there, boy. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, like it's John Singleton again to kind of bring that yeah. whole thing full circle. Like he yeah. I mean, like he yeah, yeah, like he spearheaded the whole thing and he was the executive producer. And I think he created mm-hmm. the show, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. So like so, yeah, like so like that was like, like that was me watching Breaking Bad. I ran through the second half of this fourth season of Breaking Bad in a day from 12 mm-hmm. o'clock in the afternoon till nine o'clock at night. Um, right. I never felt more drained from anything in my life. 
it wow. was an awful decision, but it was like, it, like, like just because that show is so intense and right. that's kind of like, like, like that intensity is what drew me to snow, like, like on top of the characters and the storytelling, like mm-hmm. Snowfall is real intense. And yeah, I just like, like it's your family, man. Like I feel like <laughs> I know everything going on and, you know, being a product of the eighties and all that stuff, being a very young child when that stuff was happening, but obviously I saw it and it was around me and, you know, we all got family who've been through it. I lost family members due to that and all that stuff. Mm. But it's so good you're rooting for the bad guys you know like franklin is a bad guy at the end of the day like what he's doing now granted the cia is the real bad guys who put all this stuff oh. in position but yeah in any other story if you just read this on a piece of paper franklin's the villain you know he flipped his neighborhood apart and he flipped the country apart you know like i'm not gonna tell you you know what happens but you know he he flipped this world upside down you know franklin's a villain in any other world but yeah. great storytelling and great writing and great acting is able to twist you in certain ways where you're rooting for him. I'm like pissed if Franklin gets caught up in something like, yo, what the fuck? Come on, just let my man out of that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. well, you know, you can't let him out of that. He did X, Y, Z. And it's like, nah, but I'm saying, man, you know what I mean? That's when it's great writing and great acting and great storytelling when you can get emotionally invested in it. And, and you know, he feel like my cousin, man. I'm, I, I'm, mm. I always said if, if I was telling um. Oh, my battery about to do about to die on my laptop too. But I was telling uh Kwali um on his podcast the other day, I was like, yo, if I meet Damson Idris in person, I don't want him sounding like he's from uh Peckham, London. When I meet Son, I need him to sound like Franklin. Yeah. And I'm gonna tell it like if I meet Son at an event or through some mutual parties, I'm gonna be like, yo, now before you say anything, I need you to throw on the Franklin accent. I he can turn him. that shit on he does on he command, does. like it's crazy. I'm going to be like, Fam, I don't want to hear nothing about your London accent. I love London. I want to hear you speak like Franklin, because in my mind, you are my cousin from L.A. I need you to speak like Franklin. You know what I mean? Hey, yo, yeah. yo, what's up? Lo? Like, I need that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I need and that. That's how emotionally invested I am in that show. Right. And yeah, like just just like really quickly, like that's like that context is so important. That's what makes antihero stories really appealing. Right. Because that, you, that's what makes you, you make them sympathetic. That's when it's, it's great work, because. Right to be able to pull that off, that's when it's great work. Right. And, and, you know, like, that's like what you've been doing with a lot of these recent projects. Like you really, like you bring that context that people don't necessarily think about. So, you know, I thought that was like, yeah, it was nice to, nice to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Sky, that was, I got no more questions. That was, that was oh, it, man. man. Yo, thank you so much. Thank bro. you. Thank you for having me, man. I'm glad we was able to do this and sit down for a while. Yeah. We right on cue. Cause my laptop's about to, tap out but yeah we, we right <laughs> on you, man. I, I appreciate the time and all that you know yeah man me too like for real like thank you for everything you do and just like congrats oh, on the album enjoy 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 the rollout and shit like for, thank for you, real man. it's much love keep listening and keep telling people and let's get it going man you know what i mean thanks for listening shout out to y'all for making it this far and shout out to all the black people listening too because y'all really impeccable don't forget to like subscribe and tell a friend to come through next time one